and welcome to the Zenial Dome. I'm Gareth Gwynn. And I'm Essel Sears. And this is the podcast for Zenials, which is people who were born between 1977 and 1985. Also the people born between the time when Star Wars toys were big at Christmas and the time when Care Bears toys were big at Christmas. <laughs> so that, were those the biggest toys from 77 and 85? Is the that right? The big toys, yeah. They're the big um, toys of the year. And I have big opinions about them as well because I am very much more a Care Bears person than a Star Wars person. <laughs> Do you know what? I, I've, I'm, not a, I'm not a huge Star Wars person. Mm. I'm not a huge Care Bears person, but by virtue of the fact that in my grand's house, a Care Bears video was like one of the three videos that she had, I think, pound for pound, I've watched (laughs) more Care Bears than Star Wars in my life, which I think if you were to see a photo of me, you would be surprised by. see you at a Star Wars convention wearing some kind of cloak <laughs> whereas I'd, I'd have absolutely no interest in going to a Star Wars like let me make it clear I wouldn't have a huge interest in going to a Care Bears convention I was very much a, a sort of um, what's the word I, uh, the, the, the Care Bears was very much something that was sort of inflicted upon me I could choose between E.T. Care Bears and uh, oh Rupert and the Frog Song which um, had Paul McCartney in it. Those were the three videos I could watch when I was at my grand's. And it meant that I was very familiar with the concept of Paul McCartney from a very, very, very young age. And I had the book that had Paul McCartney on the back. And when I found out he was in the Beatles, I kind of went, oh, fair play, he's done well. I love when stuff like that happens. How, yeah. Because you'll have some random references from big names in children's stuff. And then suddenly you grow up and you're like, oh, hang on. And my kids are going to get that from the Trolls movie because they seem to think that every single banger that they have murdered in the Trolls movie <laughs> is a troll song and soon enough they will realise that actual people sang them first <laughs> yeah well for me Get Back is the film about the supergroup made by the guy who did Rupert and the Frog song and the person who voiced Thomas the Tank Engine and on some level it is <laughs> yeah uh, we haven't mentioned yet <laughs> that this is a Christmas episode. That's quite important. Um, hello, and welcome to the Christmas edition of the Zenial Dome. Now, yeah. Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas. <laughs> Let's get that out of the way. But I want people to get their heads around that for this episode, we've changed the format. So we, were, we went, well, we'll do a one-off Christmas one, and what mm. should we do to make it uh, different and exciting? Yeah. So, for Christmas, we're not going to interview a Zenial. No. no. We thought that it would be nice to interview uh, some someone or some people who really understood the Xennial generation, who knew what made those born between 1977 and 1985, or what made those people tick. And we came up with a list of those people, and top of the list, without any shadow of a doubt, was Trevor and Simon. <laughs> um, now... This podcast has people who listen mm-hmm. not in the UK, so yes. we should probably explain. Um, if you turned on television on a Saturday morning in Britain um, throughout the late 80s and then the 90s, uh, you would be entertained by Trevor and Simon. And everyone <laughs> loved Trevor and Simon. They were a comedy double act on kids' telly, and they were absolutely, and still are, absolutely <laughs> superb. Um, I loved Trevor and Simon. Oh. I'm, yeah, I mean, um, you're talking about them now. I, I'm listening to you introducing this, 
as if I'm a listener <laughs> and I'm getting very excited about it. Yeah. But but I have to remind myself, no, I'm, I, I'm the one talking to them and I am positively giddy about it. <laughs> right. So the only little bit of detail I think we need to tell you in the build up to this is that um, for a little bit of it, uh, we lost Simon. So um, there's a little <laughs> bit where it's just me, Essence and Trev and that will become a clear when, when it yeah. happens. But uh, apart from that, please enjoy... Going live and live and kickings, Trevor and Simon. Trevor Neal and Simon Hickson, thank you so much for joining us in the Zenial Dome. Hey, thank, thank you. you. Thank you for inviting us. <laughs> yeah, and happy Christmas, everybody. <laughs> happy Christmas. <laughs> All right. I feel like we should have invested in some bells or something. Yeah, it does feel very <laughs> unchristmassy in this studio. I know, I've, I've not even got any tinsel or anything. <laughs> Weirdly, I've got a bell. If that's a, if that's look, I've just got a bell, a random bell. It's not even a Christmas bell, but never mind. See, we're getting there. We're getting there. That, that sounds like what you'd use to challenge us if we uh, hesitate, repeat, or deviate rather than a Christmas bell. <laughs> exactly. It'd be ready on standby. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for joining us in the Zenial Dome. Uh, it's really lovely to have you here. Um, before we begin, before we get into anything. Have you ever heard the term Xenial and did you know what it was? No, I hadn't heard it before. I don't think I had and I, I didn't know what it was. But I, and now I know it's something to do with a donkey jacket. <laughs> <laughs> In a nutshell, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we put that as our Twitter biog and I'm slightly regretting it now because I think people are associating it more with the clothing than with uh, with what it actually is. I did, Oh, and I, I didn't know what it was either. Well, I now know what it is and I won't tell you because you know what it is. But I guess that makes, well, me and Trevor talking about it, we're kind of, we're right on the end of baby boomers then going into Generation X, because Baby Boomers ended in 1964. So technically we're Baby Boomers, but then we could be Generation X. But the thing with Xennials is it, get, it takes me back to my youth when basically I remember seeing Tony Wilson on a program uh, where he said something highfalutin and somebody said to him, I don't know what that is. And he quite rightly said to them, go and look it up. So guess what I did? <laughs> I went and looked it up. <laughs> oh, well, well, thank you very much. It's so much. It's so much easier to look things up these days as well than it was in the eighties. It is. Yes. It really that- is. And I, I looked up Generation X, and Billy Idol has fantastic hair. So I, I would rather be in Generation <laughs> X than a baby boomer. Really. <laughs> but that's what's wonderful, I think, about our kind of micro generation is that we remember the transition in our formative years of not being able to look stuff up, and then suddenly you could, which, you know, explains a lot, I think, about our personalities because we're all over the place. (laughs) (laughs) I also did say to Trev before we were doing this that I refuse to be bracketed as part of any generation. I defy these brackets and these groupings. I I think that's fair enough in some ways because there is this weird thing where you look at them and you go, oh, is that meant to be me? I don't know what I think of that. Um, (laughs) But I've heard of there's there's one in the same way that Xennials are the ones where Generation X and Millennials meet. There is one I've heard called Generation Jones, which is where Baby Boomers and Generation X meet. Ah. So I think you you two would fall in that similar category of on the cusp of two generations and are not quite sure which one you would fall into. 
And so what are we? Ge- Generation Jones. Generation Jones, mm. yes. No, I'm not having that. <laughs> I, 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 I'm Generation, I'm going to be Generation Boomer X. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I'd rather still be like Generation Smith if it was going to be Smith or Jones, I think. I think. <laughs> but um, I, I think um, either way, if that gets us out of the thing that the baby boomers, I, I suppose, are, gonna, are responsible for the end of the world, really. So if, if the Jones thing gets us out of that responsibility, <laughs> I'd, I'd like to think that was the case because I, I, I don't like the guilt that the baby boomers are carrying at the moment, really. Since I'm not kind of allowing these things to be lumped onto me, I'm prepared to take on all of that guilt personally. So I'll take on, I'll take it on. I, I'll take on the guilt of being responsible for the end of the world. It's my doing. Thank you. Oh, phew, that's a great weight off my shoulders already. I feel better. Thanks, Simon. I'm like, I'm like the, I'm like the Generation X Thanos. <laughs> I am enjoying though how Simon has come on this podcast and has basically kicked the door in on the whole concept and yes, smashed yeah. the whole place up and said, yeah, no, I'm not having it. Well, welcome to my life. Welcome to 40 years of Trev and Simon. It's actually 40 years of Trev and Simon, 2021. We met in 1981. So, um, wow. yeah, 40 years of, of Trev and Simon. Um, and yeah, he's kicked the door down for 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> There's no door he hasn't kicked down. <laughs> Actually, in my flat now, there are no doors. I got rid of all the doors just so I don't have to kick them down. <laughs> <laughs> and Jim Morrison hates him. <laughs> Sorry. It's, it's all pop Oh, Trev, Trev, I love your baby boomer references. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Generation X, the doors. Oh, well. At least I crossed a couple of, like, decades there. So did you think there was anything about our generation when you were entertaining us as children when when you were there and you were thinking about us the other side of the television screen was there anything about our generation that you thought stood out or that you thought yeah that's what this lot are like or were we just another bunch of annoying kids <laughs> that's interesting one I, I i i mean personally i i didn't think of a generation of kids in a way. I mean, we we were we were kicking the door down on Saturday morning TV. Really, <laughs> we refused to accept that it was just children or uh, watching. And actually, it wasn't. There were students watching. Um, there were people who just walked in the door from clubbing the night before. There were like parents. There were there were grandparents. Um, and we we kind of aimed uh, we oh, i think our audience was, was us really we made ourselves laugh to begin with so i don't think we i might be wrong simon might say something different now but i i didn't think of just a generation of children watching um and if anything i'd have i'd have thought about them being like me because i grew up watching um swap shop and um and tis was and those sort of programs then so it was a kind of extension of, of what i'd done myself really i think i think also like i mean a, a simple thing that most probably you would do as well all comedians maybe do is start kind of internally and then make it universal so you you start with stuff that makes you laugh and then you try to open that out so so that it suits the audience so there was always that going on i mean we everything we did kind of firstly appealed to us i mean when you look at some of what we did it's how could you for example we did two dry cleaners running a dry cleaning shop oh the kids loved dry cleaners yeah i mean i mean that was that's just a that's just kind of so bizarre but i th- what it 
when you asked the question, what it did make me think of is, I think, because we used to work on other program ideas. I remember we once had a program idea for something. I think we were going to call it something like Don't Grow Up. And it was the, about the idea of creativity being in you when you're young. And it makes me think of, and again, the way TV was changing, that we were we were definitely on the verge of using, we used to have a friend, Paul Brovey, who did this avatar of, of a, what was the cat called? Rats, wasn't it, Trevor? Rats, rats, rats. So rats, rats was this floating head of a cat, but he could talk live to people with the cat. So that was kind of quite cutting edge at the time. And then we were also involving lots of kids in sketches. So we used to do phone-in um, games, uh, Luniversity Challenge and Every Looney Wins, <laughs> and where we had a band that played live in the in the studio. And the band was called, this is so convoluted, The Destined, <laughs> the destined to Be Banned. And it's like, as in destined <laughs> to be banned. But the leader was a guy called Des Tinderby. <laughs> uh, Des, <laughs> it's so complicated. And the kids love these jokes. Des, no, Des, tin, no, but Des Tinderby was played by a different kid each week. I mean, each yeah. week we'd recast a new kid. In it. So we would kind of be with the audience. We'd get them very much involved if they were in the studio. Yeah. But no, that's a really dense question. It's, it's it interesting is. It probably though, went in a bit hard was, early on, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's quite a, quite a dense answer, to be fair, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's interesting because looking back at some clips over the last week, you do suddenly realise that yeah, some of, some of the jokes are just not they weren't really for us at all. And what you would get is a lot of the studio crew laughing along and really enjoying what was going on, and then you'd see some kids in the background just. Nothing. <laughs> and also, occasionally, you might see a special guest with nothing as well, like Tom Jones. He'd be sitting there, like, totally blank. I remember when Tom Jones came on once, and uh, he, he, he sat on the stage, and he'd just done a rehearsal for his song that he was going to sing later in the show. And I went over to him, and, uh, and we, well, we both went over. We said hello and introduced ourselves. And then I think for about ooh, a good couple of minutes, I explained everything that we'd planned to do with the sketch with him and what the joke was. And, and then after, and, and I finished explaining, and then, he, and then he just was staring into space. <laughs> and, uh, and, Tom? And he went, oh, yeah. <laughs> and he hadn't, he hadn't heard a word of it. Um, so I think he was like like the kids as well. It was, it was great. Yeah, <laughs> but, it's all, it's making me think of the other things that were very interactive with the kids. Of the kind of um, we pinched. To be honest, we pinched this idea from Pee Wee Herman. Um, but the um, let's go to there was let's go bonkers and let's go nuts. Different seasons yeah. having a different one where. Everything was kind of sane until uh, the guests said a secret word. They didn't know what the secret word was that would kick everything off. And then everything went crazy. And we had the kids dressed up as they were dressed up in fruit and vegetable costumes. They were dressed up as crazy animals. And that kind of mayhem was um, really good fun. But again, not, I, you know, I mean, you could look to different generations. You could most probably say, oh, Tiz was did something like that years back. Way after us, Dick and Dom were doing that kind of thing. So, mm. you know. I think there is a universal um, sort of childish love of, of causing chaos and, and and maybe anarchy in a kind of, you know, loose 
sort of gentle term uh, use of that term really but we you know the kids would come in and, and I think they got the sense that we were slightly being a little subversive in the studio because the mm -hmm. studio was very organized and it all had to be very you know health and safety and people you know looking out as you stand there and become, mind the cameras and then we'd get the kids in and dress them up and like Simon says just tell them to go crazy and make a load of noise <laughs> and chuck stuff about so you know, I think, uh, yeah, all generations, kids, different generations of kids would relate to that kind of thing, I think. Yeah. There's a wonderful I, clip as well up on YouTube where you've done your bit, you've done your section, and then Sarah Green is trying to bring everything back to do the next link. And she's <laughs> finally managed to get the floor manager to turn your sound off through the screen that she has. <laughs> you can still hear you <laughs> the other side of the studio carrying on. And it's just beautiful <laughs> because she can't focus on what she's meant to do next because you're carrying on with whatever you were doing. And it's just, yeah, it's wonderful because I think children's TV especially Saturday morning TV was always going to be a bit chaotic on, on the base level, but then you add something like the act that you had on top of it and it just elevates it even more. Well, when it really oh. elevated, it was when we had some of the, the wrestlers on, you know, like the, the, the WWF wrestlers, they were, they, <laughs> they, they like would come in with their big props. They were, uh, uh, it was, um, Jim, uh, was it, uh, Taxel Jim, Jim Duggan, Duggan, who had his plank, and he basically, you know, this is a wrestler, his, and his, his gimmick was carrying a big plank around, so um, <laughs> obviously we wanted him to use his plank, and at the end of the sketch, we, we pretty much asked him to smash up the set, and, and he did, he destroyed it, uh, and one of them, one of the wrestlers picked Simon up and spun him round, and... Uh, that was, Hulk that Hogan was... picked me up above his head and spun me round, but what was great about them is they would say to us, they would go like, I can do this. Do you want me to do this? And all the things they were saying, do you want me to do this, were things that suited. They they knew exactly what to do to get the right effect. I mean, I mean, when I catch wrestling on the TV now, I know people go, oh, it's fixed and everything. And you go, yeah, but what amazing fixedness. You know, I mean, it's like, yeah. it's an art form. It's astonishing yeah. what they do. And that that's something I wanted to ask, actually, that idea of, because you'd have these guests on the show, and I and I... As as an adult now, I'm like, how on earth did you convince them to play ball? And was there an element of meeting them halfway, or were they were they some sort of came to you and went, I would like to do this, like the wrestler? That sounds that sounds like that must have been quite exciting when they went, we could we could do this. Did that happen <laughs> yeah. often? Only wrestlers. Oh. <laughs> there, there was there was a sense of um, uh, if if people had an image to protect, then they would be maybe a bit more cautious, but they'd still do stuff. Kylie Minogue did sketches with us and we did, um, Polly put the kettle on and we had a kettle that we wanted to, her to put on her head. And she wouldn't, but she'd, she'd hold it above her head, but she didn't want to mess her hair up. And, you know, it's fair enough. It's Kylie Minogue, I, you know. The thing, Kylie, Kylie had learned her lesson because the first time she came on the programme, uh, she wasn't the superstar that she became at that point. Um, and we put her inside a cardboard box full of straw because we said she'd been hibernating over the winter. <laughs> and um, and we literally did push her into a cardboard box full of straw and shut the lid and then revealed her to, to the audience, like the Blue Peter tortoise is coming out of hibernation. Um, and I think after that, she thought, oh, I might be a bit more careful with what I agree to next time. <laughs> <laughs> but I 
mean, some uh, of the names, though, like, you know, like Hulk Hogan, for example, like kids these days wouldn't know who he is. But at the time, he was like a massive superstar. You know, you, you've got to meet so many kind of um, iconic celebrities of that time. And not just Z-list celebrities, but film stars <laughs> and, and Cliff Richard. <laughs> Well, everybody came in because, well, and Cliff Richard, yeah. I mean, everybody, everybody came into the show because at that point there was only like a handful of channels. So that was the place. If you had a book out or a film out or, or a record or whatever it was, you came on Saturday morning TV because although at like nine o'clock in the morning, uh, there may just be a handful of, of, of kids watching as the, as the program grew over three hours, the, the audience would grow. And then just before 12 o'clock, everyone was tuning in for Grandstand, which was the sports program. So, you know, it was reaching a wide audience. And so uh, uh, and it wasn't like it, there was YouTube and there wasn't Netflix and there wasn't, you know, it was just a few channels so bbc one on saturday morning was the place to go so yeah it, we had everything from politicians to to film producers pop stars soap stars um and cliff richard from a from a from a comedy perspective um we got to do a sketch with mel brooks which was amazing mm-hmm. you know uh why just yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. How, what was that like was he did it was, did, it was join well, in? Well, did he play ball yeah he did but but it was um it was very, I mean, considering he come, came from a background of live TV and, you know, he used to write for Sid Caesar's show of shows and, you know, all the stuff he did. He was very cool when we were talking it through in the dressing room and we heard in our earpieces, where are Trevor and Simon? We need them on set now. And Andy Peters had to kind of fill because we were all meant to be on set and we were still talking it through with him in the dressing room. Then we did the sketch with him where all of his lines were held up on big cards so he could just read them off card. And then I think his line at the end of us, he said to us, congratulations, boys, that was almost a sketch. And hey, I will take that from Mel Brooks. Yeah, Yeah, that's great. Was it a matter of the show finished on Saturday and you were like, right, who's on next week? Or did you, like, how do you go about putting it together? There was a, there was, there was a Monday morning meeting where, where it was the the next week's, well, the week before's programme was picked apart and discussed and then the programme coming up was then sort of loosely discussed because, to be honest, a lot of the, the guests were never confirmed until something like Wednesday or Thursday. Wednesday or Thursday, uh, yeah. Yeah, or May, and then sometimes not even until Saturday morning. You never you never <laughs> quite knew. So actually we, held, we sort of held off writing stuff until further towards the end of the week when we knew who definitely might be on. And uh, and, then, and then we hope for the best. And sometimes, though, uh, guests would turn up and um, people like, say, Frankie Howard, we'd written a sketch for him that we were really pleased with. And we thought, yeah, this is going to be really good fun because we were big fans of Frankie Howard and all that kind of, oh, Mrs. sort of old school kind of stuff that we, we thought we could play about with. Um, but he came on the show and actually he said, I'm sorry, I, I would love to do it. And I'm very flattered that you've written this sketch, but I'm, I'm just too nervous, he said. And he, and he was he was left oh. definitely in his older years. But, but he, also, um, he also had a cold, though, didn't he? He wasn't well. He wasn't, he wasn't oh. 100%. And he said, I'm not feeling well and I'm a bit nervous and um, I, don't, I don't think I could manage that today. Uh, but he said, I'll tell you what, after the show, we'll, I'll take you out for lunch. And so he did that instead, which was fantastic. So we sat after the show, we went, jumped in a cab, went over to some his favourite restaurant in Kensington or wherever it was. And he sat down, sat us down. He, he ordered a bottle of vodka. <laughs> and uh, it was brilliant. And then he just drank this whole bottle of vodka pretty much through lunch and told us all his showbiz stories. It was just really entertaining. Wow. It was brilliant. 
So it was That's actually amazing. better than doing a sketch of him. Uh, Trev, <laughs> Trev, can you remember what generation was he? <laughs> uh, I, I, I went off a second ago to get a book because I've just finished reading this, which is like a huge 600-page oh. book um, about Saturday Night Live. And the weird thing about it is the process, when you were asking us about the process of making the show, and Trevor's saying about the meetings on the Mondays and everything, it's literally the same as this, but without the drugs. <laughs> Do you know what? I have that book next door, and as I asked the question, I was thinking, I wonder if it was like Saturday Night Live. It, that it is really, exactly oh. But, but you know what? It really is. It, uh, and I'm not joking. It really is, but without the drugs. You know, it is, the, the process is very much the same. And the interesting thing is, after because they were doing this Saturday Night Live, afterwards they went and had a crazy party at this bar that they, they you know, that um, John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd owned. And I mean, in a similar way, after a Saturday show, there was hospitality and you'd all go and have a bit of food and drink together. And I, can't, I was trying to remember, Trev, did we have beer? In the, you know, in hospitality, would we have a drink as well? I can't oh, remember. Yeah, yeah, we had a drink. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, <laughs> it was a very low key version of it. But there it was. was that yeah. sense of, but there is that sense of, oh, there you go. Mm. We've done it. We've just done, we've all collectively put on three hours of live TV. Yeah. And it, I honestly, Trevor, I love this book because reading this book, it, it reminds me of just what a what a thrill doing live TV was. You know, mm-hmm. it, there's something very special about it being live. I think. Well, also, the, I mean, the fact that we were having to make it up pretty much that week. I mean, it, some of the stuff we did, uh, it wasn't all top quality comedy. It, some of it, <laughs> some of it was really shoddy, and that was because. We threw it together. And, and also, we hadn't had a huge amount of training for this when we started. You know, we were doing the comedy circuit. We had a 20-minute, half-hour act that we were doing in pubs. We didn't know what we were getting into, really. So we were like a couple of big kids just having fun <laughs> in a studio. Because we weren't very show busy either. We didn't really have... We didn't. We were a bit kind of awkward sometimes around that kind of sort of showbiz thing. And mm. so we were slightly outsiders um, in, in, the BBC, in the BBC, in a way. And I think... Uh, so we just, I don't know, we just mucked about and got on with it. And, uh, yeah. But you had, yeah. but like we, we mentioned earlier, you know, you had such a massive audience. So so to come from the circuit, you might not have gone kind of the traditional route into mainstream, but suddenly you had this massive big audience of such a wide demographic as well, you know, yeah. that actually the notoriety that you got from that was probably much higher than someone else who would have just stuck to the circuit and gone through I, that I roof. don't think, yeah, and I don't think we'd have, we wouldn't have survived on the circuit. I mean, we, we started off on the circuit, but we were, I know this is going to sound ridiculous, we were too soft for the circuit. We just weren't, you know, I, I think even now the circuit's most probably a very hard thing to do, but I, th- I think the comedy circuit's changed a bit now because you can actually get sort of bespoke comedy evenings but maybe a bit more towards either performance or, you know, it's not, it used to be such a male white domain, you know, just these men standing at a mic and then just, you know, and, and we were too soft. We were too gentle for it. We wouldn't have survived in it really. So we wouldn't, I think it's the nature of a double act though, as well. I mean, I, I think neither of us were driven in that way. We didn't have that, even if we were, 
individual stand-ups we wouldn't have taken on a room in the way that some stand-ups would because I just don't think it's in our nature but also with a double act you can't take on the room in the same way because you're also trying to you know work with each other and anticipate what's going to be said and how you're going and to actually take on uh you know if you've got a particularly persistent heckler or something that needs a a certain style and a certain mindset and, and also, also, you know, a bit of aggression to take it on. And, and I don't mm. think that was in our, our nature. And certainly as a double act, you know, we've tried in the past and it, <laughs> it, it, it doesn't really work very well. Because I should point out as well, going back to what we were saying earlier, these doors I've kicked down, it's only metaphorical. I wouldn't really kick <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, don't say that. I've got a nice image in my head of you taking splinters out of your feet. <laughs> <laughs> So, so in terms of getting like so you were doing that that bit of the circuit and getting spotted what was it what like, what were you doing at the time where somebody went that those are the people we want to to help fill three hours of live television <laughs> like let's be honest i don't know anyone i'd trust to do that and i know people who work in live television <laughs> it's um they did, yeah what, they did, what was the program had sent out um one of the producers at the time charlotte black they'd sent her out onto the circuit to just kind of look for people. Uh, and I think, so she approached us, didn't she? And kind of invited yeah. us in then for uh, interviews. I think maybe we were picked because even though, you know, we, we were quite, um, it was quite a physical act. It's quite kind of knockabout. It was kind of political, but not in a way that was, you know, would cause upset within the BBC. Having said that, we did eventually cause upset in the BBC when, uh, <laughs> We did kind of have a go with the government. On we changed a script and live on air attacked the Tory government of the day, and our boss said to us, "Don't ever do that again, boys." So you'll, you'll have to, you'll, we'll have to pre-record everything. But uh, oh, right! Wow, he did trust um, us though. Yeah, I mean, uh, because I think when we, we, we the, the set we were doing at the time uh, was sort of semi-political and there was a few swear words in there but like Simon said essentially it was very silly and knockabout mm. so I was trying to think I can't really explain this very well but at the time like there was the whole um uh the whole uh, sort of television campaign to, to fight AIDS w was going on and obviously that was a really serious thing at the time and the way that the um the TV campaign handled it, it really wasn't wasn't great and they were talking about um you know, uh, safe sex, and so so our interpretation of that was was to wear like a reflective cycle band and to be seen be safe during sex. You know, and like so, our kind of interpretation of serious uh, issues was sometimes very silly and and visual. Um, and we, you know, in a way, we were making our own points. But I think because of that, the, the, the boss maybe could see that we had a way of of taking, you know, uh, I don't know, taking issues and working with them, although basically, essentially, we were just silly. And I think it, yeah. felt, <laughs> it felt fairly safe that we weren't going to kind of do anything too too upsetting for him. Really. But So did you feel that you could stay quite true to the kind of comedy that you liked to create and the stuff that you found funny? Yeah, definitely, definitely. We're, we're, and I say we're, I maybe should change it to me. I don't know, Trevor. No, I think we're both... I would say we're both quite stubborn. So I'd say that uh, if we don't want to do something, no one's going to make us do it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Or if we do do it, we'll do it in a kind of bolshy way and then spoil it. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and then they won't ask us to do it again. Yeah. That's basically what oh. happened. We did some things like begrudgingly, and then they went, actually, it didn't work. We won't ask you to do that. <laughs> so, so we did get our way very passive aggressively, right, through the 10 years. It's interesting that um, somebody put up today, uh, uh, somebody put up a clip, BBC Archives actually put up a clip of some characters we did called the Sister Brothers. And <laughs> They were kind of not the sisters brothers, which is a, the book and the film. But before that, there was the sister brothers, and they were particularly designed. They were characters designed to do prize picks. They wanted us to pick out the winners from you know the competitions, and we came up with those characters to do that. And I think that was our way of because we didn't want to do prize picks. We didn't have massive interest in that, but because we found a couple of characters who could do it and make something more of it, we found a compromise that worked. I think that's what we were always fighting and struggling with, really, was that, that we were given the role sometimes of being presenters and we never saw ourselves as TV presenters. At that point, we saw ourselves as TV, I don't know, TV anything. We just saw ourselves as character comedians, I think. And, and our influences had been Saturday Night Live and that kind of stuff, as well as all the old double acts from, from the beginning of time, really. So um, we didn't see ourselves as being sort of straightforward TV presenters because that kind of meant like a bit of an established, it meant being established, it meant being having responsibility, it meant being sensible. And we didn't like that, you know. There was, I've just there was remembered, Trev, though, I've just remembered a kind of a nice compromise of our style suiting what the programme wanted was a thing that we used to do called the star driving test. And yeah, basically, um, Trev was a driving instructor and I was a character who sat in the back called Mr. Ribbon, who was an irritant. And then you would have the celebrity taking their test. And the whole, the whole reason for that to exist was that the programme wanted to find a way to deal with what they would class as the rubbish questions, all the boring ah. questions that, that people, you know, they don't want to have them in the, in the press conference or in the series, the hot seat interview. Questions like, oh, who's your favourite actor? What's your favourite colour? Whatever. So they wanted to find a way of dealing with proper questions sent in by kids, but in a daft way. And they came up with this, well, we came up with this star driving test thing. And that worked really well. That was a nice kind of thing of us putting our comedy on something that the programme needed to be done as a piece yeah. of magazine TV. So it basically involved the guests squashing into this little mini-mini, a, a small mini that we had. I was driving, the guests sat squashed next to me, Simon in the back, he would pop up, and then there was a green screen effect where you would have the, um, uh, some kind of background running and we'd be driving through, I don't know, the snowy Alps or kind of, you know, across <laughs> someone's kitchen floor or whatever it was, you know, there would be a different background. So, yeah, it was quite funny. And it did make the guests feel slightly uncomfortable because they never knew what Simon was going to do or say. <laughs> and he would but, usually pop up and say, oh, have you ever stroked a weasel? And then he'd clap his hands. So that was Mr. Ribbon's catchphrase, have you ever stroked a weasel? And it was always the very last question. That'd be the end of the sketch, you know. Cause... I remember. I'd completely forgotten about <laughs> I'm sorry. I'd so, okay, I know, but what the thing, you know, have, have you ever stroked a weasel? I mean, I and don't here, know, obviously. And here's the thing, though. When we came up with that question, and you're Trev's right, we were kind of working with uh, Paul Brophy writing these. And um, that question was literally, uh, no one would believe me if I say this, but it wasn't meant to be, it wasn't It wasn't meant to be rude. It wasn't a euphemism. It wasn't, <laughs> it was just literally a question of, have you ever stroked a weasel? Because we quite liked weasels. It was, uh, we, you know, it was as innocent as that, you know. And, and I can't imagine, I can't imagine you could stroke a weasel because I imagine they'd bite you. So it's a, it's a valid question to ask. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's, that's very deep, very deep. But it, um, 
Yeah, so, I was thinking about it earlier. I think when we're talking about all the different generations and the different ages of the audience out there, I, and I think we did get a little bit drawn into sometimes being accused of doing innuendos that weren't there, like the weasel. Um, and then other times, because you knew there was a different levels of audience, you sometimes did a sort of cheeky wink or a nod or a mention to, to something <laughs> that, that probably wasn't really very good for for the younger audience. And, and actually... Um, when I had kids of my own, I, I sort of look back on some of the stuff and sort of cringe slightly, really. When I was 10, my parents were massive fans of you, as I was. I was a huge fan. And you came to the Swansea Grand. And <gasps> yeah. um, me and my brother and some <laughs> friends, and we all were... In fact, I, while, before coming here today, I actually found... This shows the sort of person I am. There you are. That's my ticket from the Blind hey! Tour. <laughs> Thank you, thank you. I do remember the Swansea Grand because I know some relatives came as well at that on that, and we always—I think we may have done it a couple of times—but we always had a very good night at the Swansea. And I'm not just saying that. I turned up, and it was so I'd have been ten. My brother would have been therefore eight, and our friends, and it was us. And in my memory, two thousand Swansea University students. <laughs> and I, <laughs> and I think my parents did go. Have we made a mistake here? Is this? <laughs> I think. I think maybe when with some of the with some of our live tours, we I, we did occasionally we got people complaining. I I think we did. We did. We were still quite young in a way, and I don't know that we thought that the live tours were going to be really young kids. I think. We, I think with some of the late tours, we did say suitable for i think we put something like 12 upwards or 15 upwards or whatever you know no it was never going to be too outrageous but we did maybe have the occasional rude word in or whatever yeah yeah no that's see i i, re- I remember it being like oh they wouldn't have said that normally <laughs> like as a 10 year old <laughs> but i'll be honest it was very exciting <laughs> oh, <good>. <laughs> <laughs> i'm so envious though yeah because for, for me because i i grew up in in Aberystwyth. And I must have watched most of the Saturday morning um, episodes. And it just felt like whatever was going on in Lime Kicking or Going Live was a very London thing and very unattainable, but also aspirational. <laughs> because every week you, you were seeing like your, your idols and stuff. Like you're talking about Kylie there. I, I didn't want to be like Kylie. I wanted to be her when I was eight, you know? Yeah. So, uh-huh. so all those things were just, so yeah, I'm so jealous of Gareth that he actually got to, got to see him live. <laughs> like that's, can't even comprehend it. <laughs> It's inter- it's interesting the London, but it's inter- interesting here you say that thing about the London thing because I don't yeah. think it's ever something that was at the forefront of our heads because because we'd both come from outside of London. I can, mm. you know I come from uh, Salford near Manchester. Trev comes from Southampton. You know we 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 ended up living in London, but yeah, it's interesting. It, it would have been. Mm. Uh, I mean, now most stuff will be coming from Salford, won't it, from Media yes. City, I guess. Yes. Come full circle. I mean, the programme tried. They used, to, they used to sort of send out um, presenters out into the regions, as they thought, whatever. And the, I mean, I think it was going back to the old sort of swap shop days when Keith Chegwin would turn up in your local car park. You know, with mm. The... Mm. Since Trev mentioned Keith Chegwin, and may the poor guy rest in peace, but Keith Chegwin did, because he, you know, he did the thing of turning up on people's doorsteps. Mm-hmm. Well, well, he turned up on my doorstep. Um, and I'd always, I, I, I went mad and I was not going to have any of it. And I'd actually, I was, I didn't know what this to do. This was for the big breakfast, it, wasn't it? Was it the big breakfast? It was breakfast? the big oh, breakfast. It was, was the it? big breakfast. And we had a replica gun. 
and um, we used to use this replica gun, which is most probably illegal now. But I don't know where it is. But it, it fired blanks. I do. But it was, you know, <laughs> and, and I, I'd always said, I'd always said that if Keith Chegwin ever called on my door, I'd answer the door naked, waving the gun. Um, <laughs> and I, I didn't dare do that. But I, I wouldn't answer the door to him. And then we had people phoning me up, going like. This is live TV. He's on your door. You've got to let it. You've got to open the door. And I was, I was really livid. I was, and in the end, I kind of, I, I did meet up with them later. They, they, they had to cut away and go. Oh, we'll try and track Simon down later on. And then I met up with him later on. But we would occasionally but I had to meet go as well. Because he, Simon phoned me up and said Keith Chegwin's banging on my door. And, and I said what? <laughs> He said, there, look outside your window. They've sent a cab to you. And I looked out, there was a cab waiting outside my house because <laughs> they they decided they would take us to this. Uh, another, we always meet Keith Chegwin in car parks, but then we went to a car park so that <laughs> Simon could um, to do a driving lesson or something, whatever it was. But, it was but I was most unhappy and, and it, we oh, ended up yeah. doing that. But I never, I never let, we'd meet him every now and then and I'd always kind of give him a hard time. And I, yeah, <laughs> I feel bad now. <laughs> Well, si as well as kicking down every door he can see, Simon also is very good at holding a grudge. It, it, it <laughs> oh, he really did. Ask him about uh, uh, Armando Inucci. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. no, don't get me. I, Jeff, I'd, laid, I'd laid that grudge to rest. Oh, I'd laid that grudge to rest. Oh, no, let's stop it. Let's, let's stop that fire. <laughs> do, do you want to hear my Armando Inucci grudge then? Yes. I have, I have I laid that. it to rest. If I were to meet him, you know, I would, so me and Trevor walk in through London and we're walking down Charlotte Street, which has all these nice little cafes. And we pass Steve Coogan sitting with Armando Inucci outside this cafe having a coffee. And we'd met Steve before. So we kind of all go, oh, hello, hello, hello. And we'd never met Armando. So Steve goes, oh, Armando, this is Trevor Simon. And then we're having a bit of a chat and... Uh, Steve said, what have you been up to? And we said, oh, I think it was when we did the Radio 1 road show. And Trev said, yeah, we had about 2,000 people all standing up, swinging their pants. <laughs> and Armando Inucci said to me, well, to both of us, he said, yes, that's how Hitler started. <laughs> and no, no, I never met I I'd never met him before. This is the first time I met him. He was comparing us to Hitler. I was... I was, I was, oh, I'd never been so angry in my life. And for many, many years, many, many years, I've held so a grudge. Funny. Or that he was implying that Hitler did swing your pants first and you'd stolen it from him. Oh, God, that's oh, worse. That's, uh, yeah, that is awful. Oh, you've put it through we, a whole different been, lens now. Well, I know, sorry, happened? sorry, I've definitely stoked it now. So we've been like broadcasting Nazi symbolism to a whole generation of kids. <laughs> Anyway, oh what, so God. eventually, eventually, I kind of, 15, 20 years later, I had to think about this. And then I realized that maybe he'd never met us before. Maybe he was a bit nervous. You know, he was just trying to, he, he was just trying to be friendly. He was, he was making yeah. a harmless joke. So I've, yes. I've let that one lie. I mean, if he ever does it again, if I ever meet him <laughs> and he brings it up, you know. Oh, man. But you mentioned swing your pants there. Um, I think what's what's quite incredible, though, about um, the, that part of your career in the 80s and 90s uh, um, on Saturday morning TV is that 
you not only came up with one iconic catchphrase, but about nine. (laughs) 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 Wow. You know, because it's it's the swing your pants, it's the duvets, it's the perm. You know, there's the beard one. You know, uh, so you're being, you're being you're being very generous when you say nine because you've already listed we don't do perms and we don't do duvets. I mean, they're the same. You know, <laughs> yeah. now, I don't know you noticed, but some of the characters we did as the series went along did have quite a resemblance to characters that had been before. <laughs> it was basically the same people in a different shop with a different name. Um, but we kind of liked that. At one point, we wanted to do a program where where we we did we were on a street with all the same characters, with all their little shops on the same street, and we thought that would be quite fun. Mm. Sadly, the BBC didn't. But never mind. Oh, <laughs> have you ever had trouble uh, getting a duvet cleaned? Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> well, do you know one of the things enough. I like about that? I do like the fact that you know people will draw our attention they'll go they'll send us pictures and they go look look at our dry cleaners near us and they will they you know the dry cleaners where there are signs that say we do do duvets <laughs> and it's quite it's quite nice to know you're kind of you've had a you know i, I don't know yeah. one of your catchphrases has led to a whole movement in, in well, the dry I, cleaner world and i have to confess that i think maybe our duvet doesn't get cleaned probably quite as often as it should, to be honest <laughs> And, and me and Kath, my wife, we were talking about it the other day, and we said, you know, we should really perhaps, you know, send that to the, to the cleaners. And I said, well, I'm not going. There's no way I'm walking in, and I'm not going to do it because I've done it before. And you can see the, the the person behind the counter like desperately trying not to laugh or, or what. And I say, even when I'm in TK Maxx, and if I go anywhere near the bedding department, you know, there's like duvets. I kind of think, if oh, you know what, someone's going to say something, then I kind of quickly sort of scarper out. But Trev, but Trev, but Trev, there's a key thing here. I mean, what? we've made a career on not doing duvets, and I'm finding out you have one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, it's, yeah, we're just hypocrites, really. I really like a duvet. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a duvet. I have a continental quilt. Of course. Uh, you do. Yeah, that's yeah, that's yeah. a proper boomer. Um, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> Actually, I don't have a duvet. I just have a donkey jacket that I sleep on. <laughs> you worked on. Going live and live and kicking, you're the you're the ones who spread across the the two shows, and uh, the, the the two big Saturday shows. Go on, which one was best? Oh, there wasn't there wasn't what best or not. It really wasn't and for me. It uh, it was just like we were so grateful to be carrying on working, <laughs> <laughs> and that they booked us again. But no, they were very different because we got as we progressed into live and kicking we started to have um, a little bit more confidence to, to try different things. And I think we were given more time and we were given more space to try things out. So um, uh, no, uh, no, they were both great. I mean, live uh, going live was fantastic because it was new and it was the first time we'd been on telly and we got to, to do everything we did for the first time, which was really exciting. But then Live and Kicking gave us the chance to do more and different stuff. So... Yeah, there was there wasn't a best. There genuinely wasn't a best as far as I'm concerned. But did, did the children change as as time went on? And the, because there's that thing I think teachers find this is that they get older and the children stay the same age. But did you find that the like what the children liked and what worked changed over time? No, well, firstly, there were in terms of people in the studio, there were only about 20 kids in the studio each week who were just kind of shepherded in when they were needed. So the kids watching at home, we had, you know, we're seeing them through the TV. We're not, you know, mm. so in the big 
scheme of things, I'm not sure whether how much they'd have changed. Um, it's possible that, that the old. kids got they got more confident with with the with the medium of Saturday morning TV. You know, I think kids got maybe a little bit more savvy and a bit more sophisticated in a way. I think with going live, there's a possibility that it was kind of quite sweet and it was still quite BBC and they had mm. Philip Hodgson who was the agony aunt and he would talk about your whatever issues that were going on you know that you might be worried about and stuff like that which by the time Live and Kicking came it was all a little bit more more sophisticated maybe or just a bit mm. more uh sort of all flashing lights and yeah. you know I don't know I don't know that sophisticated I don't know what I'm saying but uh, and also meant that I think when we went out to um to do a, a an outside broadcast we were asked to go to someone's house who was supposedly a fan and we went as mick mcmax and moon monkey simon was moon monkey who was sort <laughs> of uh I, I think the idea was he was he was probably on ecstasy the whole time but obviously we couldn't <laughs> say that i'll be um, honest that is something that only dawned on me and asif today <laughs> <laughs> The inspiration came out of the whole kind of, you know, um, rave scene. And, he was uh, definitely uh, based uh, on Bez. Yeah. <laughs> <And laughs> so, you know, um, and Mick McMax, I don't know who he was, really. He was just a kind of DJ su- support act for Moon Monkey, really. But, but we, went out, we went out in what we called the Love Bus, which was this transit van. Um, and we turned up outside someone's house and we got away with all sorts of stuff because as the doors opened, all kind of smoke billowed out of the van as, as if we'd been like puffing away in there. Um, we got in, we got into the house. Anyway, it turns out that it, the kid had been set up. The kid hated us and didn't want us anywhere near no. the house. The friend had set them up and we'd been sent around there. And, and it was kind of, there was this bolshy sort of slightly disappointed teenager who was, who was embarrassed that me and Simon were... And Simon was there in his one-piece spandex outfit. And I was there in my hat-sharp wig and being all kind of, you know, up and in your face and all this. And she was like, please, you know. And we were in their living room and it was just... Um, I think that wouldn't have happened on Going Live. I think that the kids would have just been, like, exciting, you know, the tellies in our house. Um, Again, that that clip is on on YouTube. I haven't done any work this week. All I've done is watched it on YouTube. (laughs) (laughs) But that is on YouTube. And it's so lovely because, like you said, you know, you took over this house. You're having a rave in her living room, which she's hating. (laughs) And then you kind of go into another room and you pass her dad, who's just kind of stood in the background, just observing. (laughs) all of this at at one point moon monkey stops to stroke the dog the dog and the dog the dog jumped all over me at some point as well i don't it's uh it's awful just incredible (laughs) i wanted to talk to you about what you did after live and kicking really which was the because you wrote for children's television afterwards didn't you yeah yeah and have have been ever since really yeah and i was just interested that idea of like whether things changed in terms of what children liked in those years were there big differences did you think as time went on um well i think i think it goes back to to what i was saying earlier about if if they changed at all i just think it got much more sophisticated and more more kind of media savvy um uh i think i i mean i more recently i've I've been writing for for preschool which actually is is more uh, more of a constant i think because it's uh well i mean you you yeah you're, you're not dealing with 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 
the, the real world in the same way. Um, the thing is with with TV or or with or with writing for TV is you don't get the immediate feedback from from the audience. It's not like theatre. It's not like being you know you're not a performer with the child an audience of children there it's not like pantomime where you can hear you don't hear anything you just get audience figures <laughs> you know and, <laughs> and um, rather dull meetings with executives so uh it's um it's kind of hard to gauge um but i think thankfully what what's happened more and more in in writing for children's tv and i think children's tv is it's always been at the vanguard of this is that it is becoming far more inclusive and more diverse and and that's something that the company I've, I've done a lot of work with, Kindle Entertainment. Um, they, we've done uh, Simon too. We've written lots of kind of preschool stuff for them, and it's really important to get that right. Um, and so, I mean, you know, even going back to what you were saying earlier, that, that going live seems so sort of Londony uh, if you're in Wales. But um, then, you know, that was that was just the start of it. I mean, beyond that, it was it was also, you know, very, very white and, and, and kind of quite middle class as well, I think. Mm. And 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 I just think that's a good thing that the that, that children's television is really and is really working hard to to, to address that. Uh, and and um, maybe that's the way things change. I think otherwise, though, the subject matter is 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 very similar, I think, um, mm. in terms of what what makes kids laugh i think um it's just it's how it's done i think things need to change let's get it right in kids tv seems to be the the way things go from what i can tell yeah yeah i mean well it is you know i think you've got a responsibility there and i think like say even when even when we were being silly on saturday morning tv uh, from our own perspective we wanted to we had a responsibility. I mean, it maybe wasn't the responsibility the BBC wanted. So when we made our joke about uh, when we were asked to do something about the Blue Peter Appeal, which was for um, to raise money for kidney machines for hospitals, this was the, the the incident that Simon referred to earlier, where I just leaned into the to the camera in character and said, "Shouldn't the government be doing that?" And it wasn't a joke. I mean, yeah. it was what, it was a silly character that was saying, I said, well, shouldn't the government be doing that? You know, and it was like, <laughs> yes, they should. And that, but that was because I felt I wanted to say something that I thought was important yeah. and that I yeah. thought um, should be being talked about. As yeah. it was, we got told off and said we were <laughs> threatened that, you know, everything would be recorded after that, which wasn't because the boss was a raving Tory. It was because he couldn't do that. You know, the BBC mm. couldn't be that 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 biased, I suppose. But I, I, so I, in our own way, we did have a responsibility and we were aware of the audience and we were like, yeah, slightly embarrassed if we made a joke that was a little bit too, you know, uh, inappropriate, I guess. What's interesting about that, though, is that, um, I mean, that, that comment would resonate today. <laughs> yeah, I know. Sadly, not a lot has changed. No, no, no. <laughs> And it, it, it was sad at the time. It did make us angry at the time that the mm. Blue Peter was, was, was you know, it obviously it was a great thing that they were raising money. It was a great campaign. But, you know, it did make us cross that they, they yeah. had to do that, you know. Yeah. Um, and we, we'd come out of, you know, like I said, that was not, I suppose, not hugely long after we'd been doing the circuit where we could say what we liked and there was an audience <laughs> there that would that would lap it up. We turned out all right. You're fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> Well, that's I love the Even... idea, though, that our parents, if we hadn't turned out all right, they would have blamed Trevor and Simon. And Simon, yeah. <laughs> oh, no. That, yeah, that well, yeah. It's really become clear while we were preparing for this programme how how 
important you were as comedians for us early on not just yeah. slapstick for kids you know yeah. but it was proper intelligent comedy you know well well great i don't know where you got that from then from us but there we go <laughs> but no, that's fantastic <laughs> i mean the thing was that was it was exciting for us because when we were doing the circuit just a few years before um it it was you know alternative comedy what had been fully embraced in into the mainstream i guess because when we were at university we were um we were at manchester doing drama and and rick mail and ben elton um were, were there just before we arrived so they as as they left we arrived so there was a whole quite an excitement in the, in the department that, that this was the kind of place where alternative comedy had sort you know well one mm. part of alternative comedy had sort of begun and the young ones was on tv and me and simon were really influenced by that and and we did get to meet in fact ben elton taught simon greek drama at one point because he was a year older than me so that's quite bizarre um and we did they did come along and see me and simon not just by chance they were around at the time when me and simon were doing some daft stuff in the studio uh where and they were there in the audience we got to chat to them so they were they were a big influence and and it was very exciting being part of the alternative comedy circuit in london at that point because it did feel a bit like you were Maybe we were on the tail end of it, but it did still feel like the sort of punk rock of comedy had happened. And um, mm. so we, yeah, and, and, and us doing it on Saturday morning was a new thing. Having comedy like that on, on Saturday morning or for children was a new thing. And apparently we were told that it was Lenny Henry who suggested it to um, Chris Bellinger, the boss, uh, who, who was doing Saturday Superstore at the time and said, you know, maybe one way to change it up when you do the next generation of whether you know regeneration of the saturday morning show get get a couple of young you know um alternative comedians on and uh, so i think maybe that was the, so we've always been quite grateful to, to, to him uh, for that and then the other thing we just wanted to uh mention is uh, your podcast strangeness in space yeah yeah it was something that came out of a, a little reunion that, that me and simon and sophie aldred who was at a university with us and claire our, our longtime friend and manager was also there we're just a, a little group and we sort of thought we'd, we'd get together and try and well, use that kind of friendship and, and um, past experience together to see if we could come up with something. And, and because Sophie had done Doctor Who in the 80s with Sylvester McCoy um, and we were doing comedy, we thought, well, why don't we do a comedy sci-fi kind of thing that's a bit bit like based on Doctor Who or a bit, you know, little references to that. And it was maybe a little bit like Red Dwarf and a little bit like this. And we just sort of um, cherry picked all the kind of sci-fi things we liked and, and all the kind of little comedy sci-fi stuff we liked. And so it was really good fun. And we were, um, uh, we got some great guests, you know, Lexi Sale joined us and uh, Doom McKeegan was our narrator. Mm. Uh, we had Patterson Joseph come in and uh, uh, it, yeah, we had some, some, some really good, really good guests and it's out there now. So it's strangestinspace.com. There's six episodes. It's, it, it does have a kind of beginning and an end, but it's slightly open-ended possibly if we want to do some more. It's out there anyway, if anyone wants to listen to it. This is the quick fire round. You just give your initial, your first answers really quickly to either or questions, if that's okay. Um, and it's Blur or Oasis? Oasis. Blur Oasis. Okay, Spice Girls or All Saints? Spice Girls. All Spice. <laughs> Gordon, Gordon the Gopher or Ed the Duck? Gordon the Gopher. Gordon the Gopher. Oh. Gunge or Slime? Neither. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, he's kicked the door down. I can't say anything. He has, I know. <laughs> oh, all uh, right. 
No, I can't, I can't, I can't differentiate between I them. don't like either, to be honest. <laughs> I was never a fan of gunge or slime. Uh, mailbags or phone-ins? Mailbags. Mailbags, mailbags. Duvets or pants? Pants. Pants. We don't do duvets. <laughs> Perms or beards? <laughs> what was that one? Perms or beards? <laughs> beards, again, because we don't do perms. <laughs> yeah, I'll go along with that. And finally, Trevor or Simon? <sighs> Simon. Trev. There we go. <laughs> Thank you very much. That's been brilliant. No, well, it was that was really nice. Anyway, it was good fun. See ya. That was Trevor and Simon. What a <laughs> genuine honour to speak to them. Oh. It's it was one of those things where you go, uh, do I tell them that I'm almost certainly doing the job I do now because of how much of this I watched in the nineties? <laughs> um, yeah, I, like it's so lovely to speak to them. They, they, it, it, it was um, well as you could hear. They're such they're such nice people. Because there's always a thing, isn't there, of you know never meet your heroes, and there's always that thing where even if you if you're convinced that someone's going to be great. There's still that chance that they won't be, but that was just an absolute delight. <laughs> yeah, no, fantastic. Um, once this podcast's over, I'm going to find out who Essex's talking about when she's saying never meet your heroes, because she's clearly got a story of someone. <laughs> <laughs> but it's good to hear that Trevor and Simon aren't on that list. Uh, yeah, absolutely fantastic. Um, there are a couple of things that we didn't really get round to um, talking about with them, which is worth mentioning. So if you want to uh, find out more about Trevor and Simon, uh, they've got a website. They're both on um, Twitter. There is a Twitter account for Trev and Simon, at Trev and Simon, uh, if you want to find out what they are up to together, uh, and they are on Twitter individually. Um, but also what we should mention is that we had to find a time to interview them around Simon's work for Medicinema at Chelsea and Westminster Hospital, which is a cinema inside the hospital it's a charity simon does simon works for them and does loads of charity work for them um and it's a really good cause so we wanted to make sure that we mentioned that uh, at the end of the podcast medi cinema uh, which is really great so that's the christmas special um if you want to get in touch with us you can the email address is the dome at hotmail.com and we are also on twitter instagram Flicker? No. <laughs> well, you can't know see it. Gareth is actually I... counting these things on his fingers. <laughs> yeah. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Yeah. MySpace. Yeah. And that's it. Done. Yeah. I'm going to check if Flickr exists at the moment this, uh, this is over. <laughs> um, so do get in touch in any, any one of those uh, methods. Yes. And um, we shall see you very soon for Series 2 of The Zenial Dome. Oh, happy Christmas, everyone. Happy Christmas.